This podcast is of licensed mental health professionals linking pop culture to psychology. The information presented in this podcast is for educational and entertainment purposes only and should not be used in place of mental health treatment or other services. All our opinions are our own. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Therapy for Nerds. I am one of your co-hosts, Cassidy Russell, along with <laughs> Abby Ronquillo and Katie Bussey. And today, so I was scrolling through Twitter, as I often do, trying not to doom scroll, but you know, it's, it's, the, it's the year of doom scrolling. But I came across this, I think it's a blog post. Originally, I thought it was an article, I think, but looking at it, I think it's more of a blog post. I will link it in the description, but it's gaming in kids' own words. So the article, or whatever, takes interviews from kids about their perspective on video games, which I thought was really interesting because there's a lot of talk about video games and if it's good, if it's bad, mostly I, all I hear is how it's bad, but I don't feel like we get the perspective from the child too often of how it can actually be, well, what they actually think about it. Because I, I did think, see, not all of the children were like, hey, let's pl only play games all day long, which is what you would think to hear based off of a lot of other people's assumptions. But I just thought it was a really interesting thing. And I think we should be doing more of that. I would love to see like an actual study done of that or like more case studies. But I wanted to ask you guys, what was your opinion? Yeah, well, I think... I think it's so interesting, like when I was first reading this, because it is true, like a lot of the people that were talked about in there were pretty young kids, like um, very early in life. And it's not often that those are the kind of people you hear reviews about games from, right? Or like what they like about games or how they play them. Um, and I think it's, it's almost kind of like a missed opportunity to not be able to hear it. Because I, I enjoyed reading about like the pieces they honed in on like the maybe like a crafting part of a game that we all just like take for granted or the the connection with being able to see their family and like play with relatives who live far away or whatever it may be and I I don't know it's such a it makes sense that it exists but it's just not something we talk about enough yeah Abby yeah you know at the beginning of the article prior to them actually interviewing the children um, there was a little bit of a preface where it was discussing how not only the voices of children, but a lot of like these marginalized groups, they're not really taken seriously, or sometimes we, t we tend to discredit them. And, you know, as a therapist that works with children, or I, you know, has a history of working with this population, you know, I never really thought about it that way, that a lot of times we kind of just, especially when working with the parents, for example, we talk about the children like, oh, well, you know, they're at an age where they might not understand this concept, or we don't give them a lot of credit in regards to what they'll be able to articulate for themselves. So mm -hmm. we try to do it for them or put the steps in place for them when really, I think this article was a really, for me anyways, a big eye opener to realize, you know what, why not? Like, yes, they might not be developmentally at a space where they have the capacity of someone who's much older, but the autonomy is there. They probably know a lot more than we think they do. Yeah, like I liked, so there's many different perspectives, but you go from like the six-year-old who kind of complained about not being able to play whenever they wanted, but then you got down to like this 10-year-old who was like, yeah, 
these are the restrictions my parents put on me and I think it's good so it doesn't rot my brain. Like that was a perfect quote from it. And I thought that was really funny. Probably is something their parents have said, but I just thought it was really interesting how we have this idea that kids can't control their gaming and internet and gaming addiction is on the rise and it's so bad. But then you have like these kids that are like, yeah, I would love to play more, but I can totally see and it's understandable why my parents would have these restrictions on me. And I just mm -hmm. thought that was really interesting. And we don't talk about these kids that do have that understanding. We don't talk about them enough. Yeah, and I, I, I love the idea of like, the way they approach it, like, oh, it's gonna rot my brain. Like we, like you said, like, we know that was probably the parents who said that and they're, they're using the same phrase, but what they are they are learning in moments like that is like how to have uh, an appropriate use of enjoyable things like have the you know the kind of balance so to speak of playing games and taking time away and doing other activities and i i think it's so great at a such a young age to be able to start developing that skill because how how much that's going to serve them as they get older and they learn to regulate their own activities and uh, create structure around that and it's interesting when you ask, when we ask these questions about not even to children, but to anyone in general, but specifically in this article to children about themselves, about what they enjoy, what they like about these games, um, what their experience is like, you get a lot more information. So even just taking that example and kind of the language that they were using and kind of pairing that with their language of their parent, that kind of says a lot about the relationship that they have with their parent. Mm -hmm. Well, Abby, what you keep saying, like it, it, reminds me of what the therapy style that's called motivational interviewing, which is most often utilized in um, areas like addiction. And one of the one of the key components, especially at the beginning, is finding out what that behavior actually does for the person. So if they're addicted to a substance, like what are the positives that they're getting? Because we can sit here and talk about the negatives all the live long day like as people that have been trained and have extensive education in the use of substances like it that's not what we specialize in but we did take classes in that and so we could talk all the live long day about the negative impacts but motivational interviewing brings up the point that yeah there's all these negative impacts but there has to be something that the person's getting out of it. Otherwise, why would they continue doing it? Mm -hmm. So it's interesting that it's like taking that first step in motivational interviewing, which is asking the kids, hey, what do you get out of this? And it makes a lot of sense. And they make some really good points. One thing I always love to do when I meet people who like playing games, and I, I love to ask them, like, what are some of your favorite games? And like, I think that's what they did in this interview is they were like, okay, what are the ones you really enjoy? And being able to hear like, what is it about those games specifically that you enjoy? Because there's such a wide variety of genres out there that you can choose from, 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 that you can choose from such as like, you know, more slow story-based games or more fast-paced like first-person shooter to like tycoon games. Like there's such a wide variety. And I think there's also a lot that can be, be taken from those preferences about like maybe how they even like to interact with other people because if they're someone who prefers more slow um, take your time kind of games it's very possible that could reflect how they like to interact in the world 
Yeah, like a kid that prefers Animal Crossing versus a kid that prefers Fortnite. Yeah, yeah, because those are those are going to be very different games, and you know it's going to require a, a totally different approach. And I noticed too a lot of the kids uh, because one of the questions for the, the article was like what their favorite game was or what they like to play. Um, a lot of them were extensive. Um, some of the titles, most of them I recognized were not all the same type of games. Mm -hmm. And some of them gave reasonings to why they like certain games. And a lot of it had to do with like socialization. Mm -hmm. One of them mentioned um, playing with uh, like a family member that was living in a different state. Mm -hmm. um, and I can imagine that was probably one of the games that they had mentioned was, um, you know, like a, a multiplayer game. And then they also mentioned like playing Zelda. So you know, maybe there are games that they like to play specifically because they want to engage in a different type of activity. Yeah, and that, that's so true because like games are set up differently depending on whether or not they're intended to be played with other people or played on their own. Um, and, and I can imagine for a lot of people, their interests vary depending on whether or not they're looking to get that socialization piece out of it. If they want to connect with family who lives far away or their friends in the area versus like I just want to like jump into a different world. Like I know one of the kids brought up like liking the Sims and like just wanting to escape to live a different life and like try something different, try out a new reality in a way. Um, and I, I think there's a lot that's gonna, there's there's a lot that's gonna come from that. Like what people are looking for and what kind of games they're drawn to. Yeah, one thing that got mentioned several times is just the interactive piece, especially during a pandemic of just like, yeah, you don't want me to play games, but how else am I supposed to socialize when there's, like, I, I think one of them even said, like, I would be fine not playing a game if I could socialize in a different way. Like, what else do you expect me to do right now? Which I thought was a really good point. Yeah, and especially because a lot of times it's hard to know what else to talk about, too. And games are kind of a, an intermediate activity that gives us something to to connect on to talk about to bond over versus like well it's number 50 weeks in you know like or whatever it may be like what what else is there to talk about a lot of times for people yeah and that's so true katie even like um as i've noticed with my clients coming into session every week you know they feel like there isn't that much progressively happening on the week-to-week -week basis especially in the pandemic because they aren't going out seeing their friends, they're not working, they're not going mm -hmm. to school. So things are not necessarily happening at the same rate that they would, I mean, things are happening, but they're not happening pro as progressively as they would have mm -hmm. if we were not experiencing a lockdown. So I feel like a lot of times you're right, there has to be something that, tangible in the sense of uh, working towards or some type of goal for you to focus your attention on and for you not to feel the sense of um, anxiety from I don't have anything to bring to the table or I don't have anything to talk about or I don't, mm -hmm. I'm not an interesting person because I know that's something that a lot of people may feel, especially when they don't know what to say. Yeah, because so much of communication is having stories to share and being able to talk about what, what we've been doing, what, how our week was, how these different events were. And when those are not transpiring in the same way that they used to, it can, like you said, it can, it can cause anxiety to be like, well, I don't want to talk to someone if I don't have anything to talk about. So for... <laughs> For this article, I know it was an interview with a bunch of, of different aged individuals and in their kind of experiences with games. Um, I, I wonder in looking at this, and I know we had touched on the idea of 
wanting there to be more of this done, right? Like wanting there to be more snapshots into the lives of younger people and their experiences with games. Um, and I, I wonder like, what are some other thoughts that we have about like what there might be there that we're missing out on that we aren't talking about or we aren't seeing because we don't hear about these interviews as often. Well, I think we, like we have spent a lot of time on this podcast talking about the potential benefits of playing games. Mm-hmm. And I, I think we have a good idea of what some of those are, especially because, you know, we all three of us grew up playing video games. Mm-hmm. But I think things have changed a lot since we were kids. Like even I work with primarily teenagers and their lives are a lot different. I'm not that old. <laughs> like It hasn't been as long since I've been a teenager as like a lot of the other therapists I know we can speculate on how it impacts teenagers today based off of our experiences but i think it's good to actually hear straight from the horse's mouth so to speak how it's impacting them abby what are your thoughts uh yeah definitely i think like if you reference some of our other episodes especially the ones uh, about video games there are a lot of positive things um to say I, speaking on my own behalf and what my experience has been with some of my younger clients and what they discussed of spe- specifically in the pandemic, how it supported them is, you know, we just spoke a little bit about like having that um, goal or something to focus on when you're socializing, but it's also provided like individual goals for some of my clients as well, because, you know, especially as difficult as it has been to do um, distance learning. A lot of my clients who had been naturally very good at um, either academics, sports, um, all of these other things that you would do in the school setting and now not having that outlet of like focusing their attention or working towards something. Um, video games has been really you know, supportive in that way. I have a client who um, was on the wrestling team and soccer team, uh, very active in sports and now because of COVID has not been able to do those things. but. It's not the same. However, they they're very um, active on FIFA 20 or 21. I forgot which one, um, and has been slowly like climbing the ranks. And every week, he's very excited to talk about, you know, wherever he's at. And I don't play that game, so I don't know. But he's like very excited to talk about how how far he's gotten. Um, so in a way, it's almost been like a a placeholder for that kind of feeling of, hey, I'm like I'm improving myself. Yeah, and I I think that's a it's like a great example of like being able to stay connected with the things that you like, even if it's through a different platform right now. Um, because there, there can be a lot of things that we do do that we can't do right now. And, and this is the opportunity to have that, that kind of simulation of it in a way, because that's, that's what games are most of the time. They're a simulation of something, of a story, of a situation, of an uh, interaction that can occur. And while I think there has historically been some differing opinions about what simulations mean and like how that impacts people is we're, we're seeing that it is an opportunity to stay connected. It is an opportunity. Well, I know, I feel like, like we said, we've said these things before here about the social piece and the, the connection with things we enjoy, but I, I think we say that so often because it's, it's showing up time and time again in these different things we read, the different people we encounter. It's going to keep screaming from the rooftops. <laughs> until other therapists finally get the hint. I mean, I think it's important to not even in the context of video games, but kind of what I got out of this article too, is just very being in tune with 
not only your clients, but your children and other people in your lives and taking a, a big interest in whatever it is that they're seeing that is their passion or what it is that they, they like and really understanding what the reason that might be is. Because a lot of these conversations that we have about, you know, oh, you know, I, I identify as this or I, I engage in this or this is the thing that I like to do that's where the conversation ends and we just take that face value of like, oh, this person likes to do this thing. Um, but we don't understand what that does for that person. And I think that's where the connection is. I think a lot of people, and I'm being very general here, so please take that, take that for what it is. A lot of people will just kind of either uh, identify with it in the sense that, oh, I do that too. Like I do that activity, so I know what that feels like for, for me as a person, not necessarily for you or I don't do that thing. I don't know what that feels like, but I, I get that that's something for you, but never really understanding or asking the deeper question of what it actually is. Yeah, a lot can be said about just being curious as to what something's like for another person. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And like what I found with a lot of my clients is just they get so much out of just someone being interested in what they're interested in because especially for kids and teenagers, a lot of their interests get written off as like stupid or, oh, you like that music? Like music was better back in our day. And it, so much of what they love gets written off as not good or not good enough. And it's funny because it's just, it's funny to me because then I hear things like, the Beatles was actually primarily enjoyed by teenage girls when it first came out. And now it's like, you know, bougie guy. <laughs> it's kind of like, oh yes, the Beatles, the prime music. And so I, I do wonder if like One Direction will one day be the next like bougie guy thing. I like to live for that. <laughs> that'd, be a, that'd be an interesting day. <laughs> I... I just like, I hope I live to see it. <laughs> well, I, I feel like that really speaks to the context of when things happen and the context of when people experience something. Cause you know, like with, with music is a great example of that where I, I think for a lot of bands and genres, like we have an image of like what we consider like the typical fan of that, that certain music, that certain artists or what have you. But as time goes on, that shifts for people, you know, like maybe a band that somebody may have not liked growing up, but as an adult or later in life now, that's maybe a nostalgic sound, even if it wasn't something they liked at that time. And then it shifts in, in the context of their lives and the context of their interests. And, you know, that, that potentially could be video games for some people. Like it changes over time, their relationship with it in, in regards to how they view it. Well, I think there's this misconception that old equals good like we have like take literature for example um charles dickens like let, let's just throw his name out there at the time he was a pop writer now he's considered classic literature and things like pop media today like pop books today are considered like oh you're not a real literature person if you enjoy these things and I do feel like that's, we're getting, I mean, we're even kind of getting into that a little bit with video games because I feel like there is at least a part of like 
the community that plays games that are like, oh, well, back in my day, games were just so much better. They were so much harder, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> it is just interesting to me how things evolve over time. Yeah, no, that's so true. And I think you're right. I think like, and I think it goes back to what I was saying earlier is just like this inability to be tolerant of other people's des desires, likes, um, interests and stuff is, is really stemming from this lack of empathy or lack of understanding of what it really means to someone. Like if, if we understood like what that pop, I mean, I don't understand. I don't really know where the gatekeeping came from or the like the psychological aspect of why people do that but maybe if if there was a deeper understanding of why somebody likes something or like what that purpose is for that person I have a feeling that maybe that that desire to put them down maybe wouldn't be so great I mean, that gatekeeping stuff has to stop by the way like it's everywhere yes <laughs> I especially I think I mean we see it in everything because I was going to say especially in nerdy stuff but I think it's mm -hmm. But then I think about how there's gatekeeping and like sports communities and oh, if you're a real fan of football, name five quarterbacks or something mm -hmm. like that. It's yeah, keeping is the worst. I um, it was so funny. I was on Facebook today and I saw this group. It was like for like this K-pop thing, and I was like, oh, I want to be in this group. So I I tried joining it, and like there were three questions you had to ask answer before you joined the group. Uh, questions I knew the answers to, but I was like, wow, that's really intense. You expect these, uh, you expect anybody to join this group to know these questions, the answers to these questions. And if you don't, apparently you're not really a fan or like, how does this work? Like, I don't understand. And it made me really question whether or not I wanted to join the group. Yeah. It's tough. Cause I, I think we, I remember we touched on gatekeeping before when we were talking about like productivity, cause that's another area where we see it as uh, like I'm, I'm busier. Like you're only considered really working hard if you work this many hours. You do this much every week, um, and I, I think there's so much that can be said about just the prevalence of gatekeeping, but also how that impacts people. And in, in situations like this, where it's just like things people enjoy, like like a Facebook group or just something you have an interest in, and there being like that barrier to just joining because of that. I feel like it's a competition almost, or people feel like it's a competition in some aspects of gatekeeping. It's like, you don't like this as much as I like it, or mm -hmm. what you like is not as good as what I like, or whatever mm -hmm. it might be. And I'm wondering if it's like an insecurity for some people, or a territorial thing where it's like, this is my thing, not your thing. I don't know. I wonder if part of it's territorial and because I, I think we all get our own meaning out of anything that we, any media that we consume. Mm -hmm. uh, and it, what we consume isn't in a vacuum. Like I, I definitely think like the artist intentions still kind of matter and like their perspective still matter. But once it gets put out into the world, people will take that media however they want. And then I think for some people and for some things, it, they get really attached to it. And it's hard to imagine other people having that same level of attachment. It, it's funny because like in reflecting on the, the article, you know, I don't recall there ever being a point in any of the interviews where the kids were like, but this game is only for me and my parents aren't allowed to play or like other people aren't like, I don't feel like at least the kids that were interviewed, I didn't notice any of them doing that. None of them seemed to be gatekeeping anyone else from the games they enjoyed. 
and I think it's because of the questions that were asked too. like to preface it is more like honed in on like why do you like this game what games do you like why do you play this game yeah as, as opposed to like I guess maybe more extensive questions about how they feel about other people playing the game or mm-hmm. things like that but it I think sometimes that even happens with parents like especially because we're, we're seeing this like generational thing where things are repeating especially in video games or like there's franchises that have like started having multiple uh, variations of a certain game where like even parents are like saying hey like this game's <laughs> you can't this game's not as good as this game or like don't play that game the original is better like mm-hmm. whatever which can be very discouraging for for children or whatever anybody if you say that whatever they like is not good enough yeah yeah i would have been very interested to see like another layer of the interview of like the games that you like who else is who else what kind of people play those games who else plays those games and like kind of be able to gauge like not only the view of themselves but their view of the people around them and like who can play this is it is this like is the one kid enjoyed playing the game with their like their uncle or whoever it was that lived out of the area so I wonder if there would ever be kids who are like, well, this game is only for me, but like my sibling can't play or my parents or, you know, when that starts showing up for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. That'd be really interesting just to get like that kind of perspective. Yeah. Yeah. Or who they think is playing along with them too, like online. Yeah. Cause a lot of times I think younger kids don't understand who they're playing with. Well, I think the big takeaway that I get from this article is that one, it's, it's really important to just, have that curiosity to ask people what they enjoy, to, to learn more about their interests, because I think there's a lot of things that'll come up that are very surprising. And I think that's what we really saw here is how everyone's perspectives are so different on things. You never know why someone might enjoy something and what it is that they get out of it. And mm-hmm. just because you think your kid's playing too many games doesn't mean they're not getting something out of it. And it might be the idea to just sit down and ask what that is. And uh, you, you really won't know until you do ask those questions. And uh, through asking those questions, even if you don't continue to agree or if you feel like um, continuing to uphold whatever position you have, there are a lot of benefits to understanding or just you know maintaining that mutual respect for each other. Yeah. Knowledge goes a long way towards understanding. Thank you for listening to Therapy for Nerds. If you liked this episode, hit that like button, subscribe, comment, and check out the links to our social medias where you'll be sure to get all of the latest Therapy for Nerds information. And be kind to yourselves this week.